Hey everyone, it's Nabil and David. Welcome back to the unofficial Seeking Allah Finding Jesus video series. Um, there is an official Seeking Allah Finding Jesus video series that you can get through Amazon, uh, which is great for group study. I suggest you take a look at that if you can. Um, in these videos, we're covering uh, some objections, some major issues, um, and we're just kind of whetting your appetite, hoping to give you a little bit, uh, if you're ministering to Muslims, if you are a Muslim, and you're watching these videos, I hope that you find some kernels and nuggets of truth that will start you on your journey to dig deeper. Uh, I do honestly believe what the Bible says, that when you earnestly seek God with all your heart, you will find Him. Um, and so, we find that in the book of Hebrews, we find that in the book of Jeremiah, etc. Um, so, keep seeking, keep looking. If you honestly love God, I think you will end up believing Jesus Christ as Lord. At least that's what happened to me. In this video, we're going to cover some slightly sensitive information. Uh, we're going to talk about Muhammad. Um, and this is important stuff. Um, when, when I was Muslim, from a time before I knew my name, my family, my jamaat, my, my Islamic community, uh, was teaching me about Muhammad uh, and about how amazing he was, how excellent he is. Uh, how kind he is, how generous he is, how loving he is, how stately he is, how diplomatic he is, how wise he is. Uh, every single epithet that you can give Muhammad, he deserved it because he was the greatest man who ever lived. Al-Insan al-Qamad, the perfect man, is, is who Muhammad is. Um, you know, Muslims have tremendous respect for a lot of the prophets, Abraham, um, Moses, Jesus. Uh, their names are mentioned in the Quran, and many, many Muslims will, will tell you how uh, their names are mentioned much more frequently than Muhammad's name is mentioned. It's not quite a fair statement because Muhammad's often addressed in the second person, so his name's obviously not going to be mentioned in third person, but whatever. It is true that as far as proper nouns are concerned, Muhammad's name is not mentioned as much as, for example, Jesus' name is mentioned in the Quran. But, regardless of that, the average Muslim holds Muhammad in super high esteem, higher than any other human who's ever lived, including Jesus. Um, you know, Islamic sources notwithstanding. That's the view Muslims have of Muhammad. Um, we have stories that we were told. For example, the one that I was very frequently told was that Muhammad endured tremendous persecution at the hands of the Meccans. And so Muhammad at the age of 40 uh, started proclaiming that, that there is no God but Allah. Um, and he started teaching monotheism to these Arab pagans. And because of that, they started persecuting him. They started putting camel entrails on him while he was praying. Uh, they, would, they would come and, and violently assault him at times. Uh, that there was a boycott um, placed upon him and the Muslims that ultimately led to the death of his wife and his uncle. Um, in, in, in battle, the Meccans would uh, eat, it would, after killing his relatives, eat the organs out of their bodies. Uh, that's how vicious these Meccans were towards the Muslims. And yet, despite all this persecution, when Muhammad finally gained the upper hand over the Meccans, uh, when he came back during, uh, during the conquest of Mecca, he showed all of them mercy. And he forgave them all. This was the great character of Muhammad. So these were the kinds of stories that we were frequently told. Problem was, these were the stories we were told when I actually started investigating the written accounts of Muhammad's life, there was a lot more to his life. And in fact, some of these stories didn't quite measure up. So for example, the story of Muhammad forgiving everyone when he came back to Mecca. 
not true. He didn't forgive everyone. There were people that he singled out and killed, um, and, and he didn't show them any mercy, even if they asked for it. Um, throughout his life, there were incidents where you would normally give somebody mercy. For example, uh, a woman who was uh, caught in adultery. Jesus, according to John chapter 8, um, shows this woman forgiveness. And, and these sources are not just found in John chapter 8, but the early church records this story of Jesus forgiving the woman caught in adultery. Muhammad, when he catches a woman in adultery, uh, and what I find fascinating about this is this is often hailed as an example of Muhammad's mercy. Uh, Muhammad says to the woman, oh, wait and see if you're pregnant. The woman comes back and finds out she's pregnant. And Muhammad says, well, deliver the child. She delivers a child. She goes back to Muhammad. Muhammad says, okay, now nurse the child. And after the child is weaned from his mother, then Muhammad executes her. And, and the story goes to show the amazing mercy of Muhammad that he would wait so long to execute her. And I'm thinking, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. I mean, there's, there's much more mercy that can be shown here. Um, but, but this is an example of the tremendous mercy of Muhammad. Also, the story of, of persecution of Muhammad when he's in Mecca. Not nearly as bad as it's often pro, uh, portrayed. Certainly a, a joke compared to what someone like the Apostle Paul went through. Yeah. Apostle Paul stoned multiple times, caned multiple times, uh, left for dead multiple times, shipwrecked multiple times. Um, Muhammad had some camel entrails placed on him while he was in Sajda. I mean, not, not that big a deal. Um, and that's not to downplay persecution. Persecution can be rough, but it's not nearly as bad as many Muslims will often say it was. Uh, in fact, in the 13 years, uh, Muhammad was proselytizing in Mecca or, or preaching uh, Islam in Mecca. Um, there were approximately 100 converts during that whole period of time. And of that 100, um, there are, from, from what I recall, and don't quote me on this, but from what I recall, there are 15 incidents of, uh, of persecution, and only two of them led to martyrdom. Um, I might be wrong in those numbers, but that's what I'm recalling at the moment. It's just, there's no comparison to how bad it's often portrayed. Um, and certainly not, I mean, if you look what happened when Muslims were in power over the unbelievers, very different story. Um, yes. Uh, even when Muhammad's not in power, he says to the Meccans, I will bring you slaughter. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to just get yeah. him to peacefully stop preaching Islam. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm going to come back and kill you guys. No, I mean, even, even according to, I mean, you know, according to what Muslims are telling us, Muhammad preached. Um, and, and, and at first he's just preaching in, in private, but he's ultimately preaching openly in Mecca, calling, calling, condemning the beliefs of the inhabitants of Mecca uh, openly, publicly, right outside the Kaaba. And he makes it there 13 years, right? Would I last 13 years? <laughs> criticizing the beliefs of the people of Mecca today. I'm not sure I would last 13 minutes uh, preaching outside the Kaaba today. Um, and the people after Muhammad took over Mecca certainly wouldn't have lasted nearly as long as he did. Yes, it's, it's yeah, and when you put it in, in context, there's a lot to consider here. Uh, is Muhammad actually the man that Muslims are taught that he is this great paragon of excellence? Uh, the more you study Muhammad's life, the more you walk away scratching your head saying, how could he have done that? How could he have done that? And you start that way as a Muslim, you know, being <coughs> presented with hadith from the Sahih literature. So Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Muslim, for example, that's where I started. That was the only thing I would accept from David. Uh, when he would say Muhammad did X, Y, or Z, I'd be like, don't bring it to me if it's anything but the Sahih literature or the Quran, of course. 
Um, and so he'd start bringing these hadith from the Sahih literature, for example, uh, Muhammad marrying a six-year-old girl, consummating the relationship with her when he's 52 and she is nine. Um, how could he have done that? Now, some people would say, well, culturally it was okay, and that was actually the argument I used in response to David. You know, in that culture, in that time, it's okay. But David had a very salient response, which was, Muhammad's supposed to be the example for all mankind, and even today, 52-year-old men are marrying nine-year-old girls and forcing them to have sexual relationships with them because Aisha did it with Muhammad. He, he's being used as the example. And so you, you, you see this kind of a thing and you respond to it, at least I did when I was a Muslim, by saying this can't possibly be true. There must be some mistake here. And, and our sect of Islam would respond by saying, oh yeah, in those days people didn't have birth certificates and so they could be wrong about the day you were born and they were wrong about age. Uh, but the problem is, this was recorded in multiple places, and not only that, but it was emphasized that Aisha was still playing with her dolls mm -hmm. when Muhammad took her into her house. That's from Sahih Bukhari. So you see that, and then you start reading other things uh, in, in the Sahih literature, where you're like, wow, really? Muhammad says the best thing you can possibly do with your life is fight in jihad? Uh, if you were to pray unceasingly and fast unceasingly, that's equal to fighting on the battlefield? Really? Um, the Muhammad I know is much more peaceful than that. Um, then you start seeing the scientific blunders that Muhammad makes in, 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 the, in the hadith, in the sahih literature. For example, Muhammad says that if there's a disease on one wing of a fly, um, the antidote for that fly is on the other, uh, for the disease is on the other wing. You have an MD, is that correct? Yeah. Uh, Did you use that? Well, yeah, I have a medical degree, and absolutely that's not correct. Um, if, if a fly is carrying malaria, don't just be like, oh, I dipped the other wing in, 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 in my by, tea. By the way, I have the... I, have, I, I still, know mosquitoes carry malaria. I still have the email yeah. from you defending that. No, that's embarrassing. Don't share that. <laughs> that would make a funny video. Actually, go ahead and share that. Okay, I, would share be, I would be fine with you sharing that email. Just, I think. Let me see it first. Yeah. Let me <laughs> see it first. Um, but, I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous that, you know, if there's a disease on a fly, just make sure you dip, you dip both wings into your drink because then you won't catch the disease. Uh, I mean, I, I'm trying not to use disrespectful words, but that's, that's just insane. Um, and, and, and the same thing with um, uh, livestock. Muhammad would say that uh, if, if an animal has died, for example, if a donkey dies in a well, you can still drink the water from that well because water it's still is made clean. impure by nothing yeah yeah and so he would say drink you know drink the water of a well that has a dead donkey in it um no don't don't listen to that um camel urine being the the heal the healing for a variety of stomach ailments Did teach you that in med school no camel urine was not was not one i know i defended that one too when i was a muslim yeah you did um i've got that email too <laughs> um but, uh, but you start getting more and more of these things that Muhammad has said or done, and they're immoral or they're just unbelievably wrong on a scientific level. Uh, some of them are spiritually quite unnerving. So, for example, Muhammad, according to the Sahih literature, uh, was under black magic for a year. He believed that he was doing things that he wasn't actually doing, and it turned out it was because a witch had cursed him with black magic. Seriously? Uh, this is this is the prophet that that I follow, um, and some of these Muslims will of course object to, and they'll fight, try to find ways around them, and that's what I kept trying to do. But it wasn't until I found maybe a hundred or so of these Sahih Hadith that I, that I was trying to explain away or just say no, this can't possibly be true, 
when I had to conclude, wait a minute, my theology is built in large part on these books, on the Hadith literature. Uh, now, the average Muslim will say, of course, the Quran is the, is, is the centerpiece of Islamic theology, and at least theoretically that's true. But the vast majority of Islamic teaching doesn't actually come from the Quran, it comes from the Hadith. Uh, and even more so, that's true of Muhammad's life. Now, if you are a Muslim and you are going to claim that Islam is true, you have to say something and you have to believe something. And that's the Shahada. You have to say, La ilaha illallah, there's no God but Allah. And the second part of the Shahada, Muhammad Rasulullah, that Muhammad is the Prophet of Allah or a Prophet of Allah. Now, in order to say that, you're making a positive assertion about Muhammad. You're saying, I believe this guy is a prophet. It's not incidental to what you believe. You can't just say, oh, I like the Quran and I like Islamic theology and therefore I'm a Muslim. No, you actually have to assert, and it is the primary proclamation of Islam, the number one pillar of Islam, and it's also extremely important in, in, the, in the theology of Islam, not just the praxis, but the theology of Islam, that Muhammad is a prophet. And if you study his life and you take all these hadith into account, there's no way you can conclude that this man's a prophet. You might still walk away saying, okay, he was a good man considering the time in which he was a leader and the culture and context in which he was a leader. You know, he's still a good man. Uh, but are you going to say he's the exemplar for all mankind? Uh, there's, I, as a Muslim, having read the Sahih material, could not conclude that. Uh, and that was one thing which led me to walk away. Uh, and by the way, this says absolutely nothing about the Sira literature. So the Sira literature is the biography of Muhammad. And a lot of Muslims will say, oh, that Sira doesn't count. It's, you just have to look at the Hadith. The problem with that way of thinking is that the Sira literature actually predates the Hadith literature. Um, the, the reason why the Sira literature doesn't follow Hadith methodology is because it came first. It came before the Hadith methodology was ever invented. Um, and and the, 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 the Hadith scholars eventually won uh, discussions later on about proper methodology. And so then they said you have to stick, you can only follow material that sticks to, to our methodology when by the, you know, at the time of the Sira that wasn't set in stone yet. And so it's, it comes before all of that. In addition to that, the Hadith only makes sense contextually if you have the whole framework of Muhammad's life. And so you have to know, you know, kind of a rough contour of from birth to death, what Muhammad's life was, and you apply the Hadith in that context. And that's what Muslim theologians have been doing from the beginning. And what provides the context for the Hadith literature? Usually Ibn Ishaq's Sirat Rasulullah. Uh, that is the primary biography of Muhammad's life. It's the first one uh, written that we have in our possession today. Um, it's considered, of the Hadith, of the Sirah, it's generally considered the most authoritative uh, again, not compared to the Hadith, but of the Sirah, it's considered, the, Ibn Ishaq is considered the most uh, sort of earliest in the, the standard, the, let's call it the gold standard of the Hadith. There's much longer ones, much bigger ones, Ibn Sa'd's Tabakat, you have uh, Tabari's um, history as well. But if you just read Ibn Ishaq's Sirat Rasulullah, uh, once again, you're going to get the earliest biography on Muhammad's life. Not the 20th century stuff you're hearing in the mosque from your parents and from your friends and your imams, but the first one that was written, the first story of Muhammad's life. And it is, frankly, at times appalling. Uh, Muhammad, on one day, multi uh, beheads multiple hundreds of men. Um, he uh, orders a treasurer to, to have a fire kindled on his chest 
uh, so that he would tell people where the money was hidden. Um, he orders a breastfeeding feeding mother to be, to be killed, uh, and she's killed in front of her children while she's breastfeeding. Um, story after story of, of just appalling things that Muhammad has done. Uh, and, and this is the, is the basis for, for Muhammad's biography. Um, you have a significant problem saying the Shahada when you actually study Muhammad's life. And uh, as far as um, I've sort of, sort of put all this together um, systematically here, uh, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm a prophet, you have basically three possibilities that you should be considering. So if you don't already believe in him, um, and he says, I'm a prophet, I have a, I have a message from God, basically three possibilities that you have to consider. One, that he's getting his revelations from his own mind or his surroundings. In other words, his revelations have a human origin. Um, that's one possibility. Uh, two, that he is getting, he's getting actual revelations, but they don't come from God. So they come from, you know, demons, something like that. If you're a Christian or Muslim, you have to consider that as a possibility. We believe that demons can influence people. So uh, you have to wonder, is, 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 is something dark, darker at work here? And then the third possibility is this person is actually a prophet. And so the question would be, why should we believe in this prophet? And when we, when we do this with Muhammad, we ask ourselves, uh, why should we believe? Uh, should we, do we have reason to think that, the, that his revelations have a human origin? Well, in, in, in many cases, uh, yes. If you look, at, the, if you look at, at Islam as a whole, it looks like something that, that, came, that sprang up from uh, 7th century Arabia. It looks like you rolled everything up into a ball. Uh, so you have you have Jewish monotheism circulating um, in Arabia there, a lot along with lots of Jewish stories from the Torah and the Talmud and Jew other Jewish sources. Uh, you have uh, stories from various um, Christian groups, for often heretical Christian groups that were circulating, and 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 the documents that they uh, that they uh, involved. So stories about. Uh, Jesus giving life to clay birds and Mary giving birth under a palm tree, these kinds of stories, stories that are now found in the Quran. These are circulating in Arabia during this time. Um, so you have Christian elements and Jewish elements, and you have the same Jewish and Christian elements that you, that you find in the Quran, you find in Arabia during the time of Muhammad. You have uh, various uh, pagan practices, so taking the pilgrimage to Mecca, circling the Kaaba, uh, things like that. Well. That those are things that the pagans did that are now part of Islam. So the question, this is supposedly a revelation that, that, that came down from heaven, and yet it looks exactly like what we would expect if you took everything that's around Mecca during this time and rolled it up into a ball. And, and also the Zoroastrians. Don't forget the yeah. praying five times a day based on the position of the sun. That's what the Zoroastrians did. One thing I want to emphasize that really the, quickly. The, the, the Sabians even had a Shahada. No. Yeah. La ilaha illallah. You're kidding. Yeah, the Sabians. Um, I have to look that's, according to Muslim, that's according to Muslim sources. I, this is my first time hearing that. Yep. But one thing I want to emphasize very briefly about what, here first. <laughs> what David just said uh, before you continue. Um, some of these stories are made-up stories. It's not, it's not just, hey, it's okay. Muhammad is, you know, is, he's preaching to the people of Mecca, and so uh, it's completely fine for him to, to take kind of uh, you know, the, what's found there and to contextualize the message to them. You know, a progressive Muslim might say something like that. Uh, some of these stories are just flat, flat out false and made up. Um, so, for example, 
the story of Jesus giving life to clay birds. We know exactly how that story was created. It was created during the second century. We know where most of these stories come from. Yeah, um, it was created during this entertaining, um, for, for this entertaining piece. Um, why is the, the name escaping me right now? Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Um, you have, uh, uh, in, in this story, you've got, you know, child Jesus being mischievous and uh, he kills people, and then when their parents get upset for, for having killed them, he brings them back to life, or um, he, will, he will, you know, be very disrespectful to a teacher, and the teacher will say, how dare you disrespect me? And then Jesus shares with him divine wisdom. Uh, so you've got a naughty, mischievous baby Jesus, or child Jesus. One of these mischievous things he does is he plays with, with clay. He makes clay birds on the Sabbath, uh, and on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any work, and so... People are saying, Jesus is being mischievous. He's playing with these clay birds on the Sabbath. And Jesus blows life into them and watches them fly away because you can play with live birds on the Sabbath. It's not doing work. And so once again, Jesus is using his you know, divine powers to do mischievous things. Uh, it's, it's a made-up story. Um, but yet, Muhammad doesn't realize it's a made-up story and it's included in the Quran. Same thing with Jesus talking at the cradle from, I think it's Surah 18. might be Surah 19. Um, Jesus is speaking, uh, yeah, Surah Maryam, uh, Jesus speaks as soon as he's born. Uh, where does that come from? Uh, well, that comes from the Arabic infancy gospel, where Jesus is the word, the eternal logos. And so when he's born, metaphorically, it's showing him being able to speak right away the truth about being the eternal word. Um, Muhammad takes that and puts it in the Quran as if baby Jesus can actually speak in the cradle. Um, just a misinterpretation. You see this time and time again. Um, and, and so it's not just, uh, hey, here are some stories that he contextualized into the Quran. It's, these are false mm -hmm. stories that he doesn't realize are false. That he claims are coming down from heaven, and yet he's getting from the surrounding culture. And by the way, even in the Quran, he's repeatedly accused of this over and over again. He's reciting some revelation, and people go, these are fables of the men of old. In other words, they're saying, we know these are fables, Muhammad. What are you talking about? Even, even the pagans knew that these stories were, were very often um, made up. So if we're talking about do we have reasons to think that, that these revelations had a human origin, of course you have that, and then of course you have uh, the very morally convenient revelations when uh, Muhammad would tell his followers, according to the Quran, you can have no more than four wives, uh, but Allah tells him in chapter 33, verse 50, that he can have more, and Muhammad had at least nine wives at one time, at least. Um, and so, why? Because he got a special revelation giving him special moral privileges. Um, that Muhammad once got caught uh, having sex with his slave girl in his wife Hafsa's bed. Hafsa got very upset about it. Muhammad asked, asked her not to tell um, Aisha. Uh, she did anyway, so Muhammad's in trouble. He takes an oath to his wives that he'll stop having sex with his slave girl. And so he, he took an oath, and that was okay, but then he received a revelation, uh, chapter 66, verses 1 through 2 of the Quran, where Allah comes to him and says, I didn't tell you to, <laughs> I didn't tell you to make that oath, so you can break that oath. And so this was, this was Allah telling Muhammad, why did you promise your wives you were going to stop having sex with your slave girl? I didn't tell you to say that, so you can go right back to having sex with your slave girl. And he got her pregnant. Her name was Mary the Copt. So this is Allah, uh, this is Allah telling Muhammad, uh, it's okay to break an oath to his wives about having sex with his slave girl, which he was doing in his wife Hafsa's bed. Uh, you start, this happens over and over and, and again. And this is in the Quran. Yeah. Right? It's, it's not like in, in the Sirah. This is in 
the eternal word of Allah for all people to read and memorize and recite during the month of Ramadan. Seriously? Mm -hmm. And so you see this sort of thing over and over again in the Muslim sources that Allah seems to give Muhammad very convenient revelation. Aisha even noticed this. She's, she's the one who said, uh, my lo your Lord hastens to satisfy your wishes and desires. She noticed every time Muhammad wants something, Allah gives him a revelation uh, saying it's okay. So the point here is this looks awfully suspicious. If the one receiving the revelations keeps getting revelations that give him and him alone these special moral privileges. So we have a lot of reason to think that these uh, revelations have a human origin. Uh, Nabil already brought up the second possibility um, of, of something darker at work, uh, talking about Muhammad um, being a victim of black magic. We find things like this. Muhammad uh, his first impression of his revelations was not, oh, I have, I have encountered an angel. Muhammad's first impression of his revelations was that he had been attacked by a demon. Uh, he, he left the cave. He tried repeatedly to commit suicide and was stopped by whatever had appeared to him. Um, so if you're looking at that, you, you encountered something, you think it's demonic, and you repeatedly try to kill yourself. It's not usually your reaction to, you know, encountering, uh, and encountering God. And Sahih Bukhari, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so it went on after that. Muhammad received the, the infamous satanic verses where he claimed that he uh, had received a revelation from God. Um, he's delivering the revelation to his followers. And he tells his followers it's okay to pray to Allah, Alusa, and Manat, these three goddesses, because they will, they're the exalted cranes, meaning that they're like birds who can carry your prayers to Allah. So you're really praying to Allah, but you're praying to them and they will take your prayers to Allah. So you have intermediaries. So Muhammad delivers this revelation to his followers. He bows down in honor of the revelation. And even the pagans, the polytheists of his tribe, bowed down with him, and they proclaimed that Muhammad has finally uh, favored our religion. And so word spread that the polytheists had now converted to Islam. They're accepting Muhammad as a prophet. Uh, problem was, Muhammad came back a little later and said, oh, the devil made me do it devil tricked me into delivering those revelations. And, and now I, when I heard this as a Muslim, I said, you know, this is not true. This is, you know, some I have 37 Muslim sources on the satanic verses now. 37 Muslim sources on this story. And the, the basic principle is the principle of embarrassment. This is not the sort of thing Muslims are going to invent in all these sources. Uh, there had to be some historical basis uh, for this. But in addition, there was a scholar at, was it Yale or Harvard? Um... Shahab Ahmed? Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, he was he went to school at either Princeton or Harvard and then he taught at the other. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Ivy League scholar, Muslim. He, he's the, that's where I got the thirty seven Muslim sources. He compiled them. Oh I see. Mm -hmm. And his dissertation is about how this is true. This mm -hmm. is a true story. Uh, so just um, and so and so, and so I mean, but I think about this that according to uh, the early Muslim sources Muhammad couldn't tell the difference between a revelation from God and a revelation from Satan. And Satan could actually trick him into delivering revelations from Satan. Not very encouraging if this guy's the last, uh, the, the last and final messenger. And then, of course, the, uh, the Muhammad thinking that he's uh, a victim of black magic and doing weird things, having delusional thoughts and false beliefs, and then coming back and saying uh, a magician had cast a spell on him. If you put all of that together, we have... And, and, and apart from that, from a Christian perspective... The fact that we're told false prophets are going to come, that there are spiritual forces at work, and that they're going to come and corrupt the gospel. And then, as, as we mentioned in a, in a previous video, that Muhammad looks exactly like what we're told about, that someone's going to come along and corrupt the gospel. Muhammad comes along and agrees with Christians on so many things that no one else agrees with us on, and then says, oh, but we do have to deny Jesus' death, resurrection, and deity. 
exactly the three things that are the core elements of the Christian gospel. So we look here, uh, we look here, and we say we have plenty of reasons to question this person's spiritual reliability. Well, and, but I was looking at it from a Muslim perspective, and I was like, you know, I I have to assert at the end of the day my own belief, right? Nobody is responsible for what I believe except me, uh, and so. Uh, you know, I can't go before God on the final day and say, my parents told me to believe this. That's not going to fly. Uh, so am I going to continue as a Muslim? And I entered into this believing that Islam was absolutely true, proved by history, philosophy, science, etc. Um, it was, you know, Islam is, is the truth. And when I started studying Muhammad, there was this natural resilience or resistance to uh, any of these objections that kept coming up. Uh, but I kept going because I had somebody force me to keep going. And he's like, you can't just sweep this under the rug. How do you deal with this? Uh, and, and, and it just kept building and building and building and building. And when I had about a hundred hadith, sahih hadith that I could not respond to, and you put on top of that the Sira literature, which is unbelievably appalling at times, some of the stuff that he just shared, um, can I then walk away saying that this man is not just a prophet, but the greatest prophet who ever lived, my exemplar, uh, and, and the exemplar for all mankind? I could not in good conscience do that. Uh, and so for me, that was almost the, the nail in the coffin for Islam. Uh, what came after that was the, the Quran itself, um, the, the problems with the preservation of the Quran, that's what really did it for me. But, but this was... And, 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 and the reason for that is that the only way you could deal with all those problems is if you had greater evidence uh, it, for, for that third point, that you have evidence that this is actually from God. And then, but then when you examine the, the arguments that you've been given that supposedly outweigh any of these sorts of problems, uh, it doesn't work out. I mean, the main argument of the Quran is that the Quran is is such a, a literary masterpiece; it must come from God, and that's one of the silliest arguments ever. I mean, one, if it, even if it were, that would that would not be proof that it's from God. If it were, if no one could write anything like the Quran, that wouldn't prove that it's from God. That's like saying if you can't write a, a, a you know symphony like Mozart, it must be from God. That's not true. That would just mean that Mozart had a great style or something that that can't be imitated. Uh, but when you actually read the Quran. Uh, my good Anthony Flew said that uh, uh, to read the Quran is a penance rather than a pleasure. Oh, right? gosh. Uh, so it, one, this, this argument is just, even if it were, even if we're, even if the Quran were what it says, uh, it, the argument would fail, and the Quran just doesn't live up to what it says. I mean, reading the Quran is all. I'm not saying this because you know I disagree with it. I think reading the Hadith, many many sections are very interesting. I think reading lots of the passages in the Sirah literature. Are very interesting. I think reading Plato is amazing. I don't agree with Plato on a lot of things. I think reading Plato is a, uh, has, has some amazing writings. The Quran is just, I mean, the worst book I can imagine uh, reading seriously. Uh, so, so to claim that it's, it's just so wonderful that it, that it could only be from God, it's a very strange argument. The other main argument of the Quran is that uh, Muhammad's a prophet according to the Bible. Why do Muslims have to, one of the reasons Muslims have to say that the Bible's been corrupted is because Muhammad's a false prophet according to the Bible. So the book he tells us to go to to confirm uh, his status as a prophet calls him a false prophet. And so uh, these are the main arguments, and these fail, and the other is the preservation of the Quran. So once you find out the actual history of the text of the Quran, now all the reasons that you've been given 
for believing that you have evidence that outweighs any of these problems disappears and all you have are problems, 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 problems. You have no reason to believe that this man's a prophet. You have very good reasons to think that at least some of his revelations have a human origin and maybe some of them have a, a you know, demonic origin, but no evidence that, uh, that he's actually a prophet. And with that, I would say confidence in Muhammad should rightly crumble. I would, um, I mean, I, I would say that uh, what we have done is not, and this is the way most Muslims would immediately react when they hear this stuff, like, why are you coming after our prophet? Why are you trying to smear his name? Uh, you're an Islamophobe, blah, 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 blah. Your prophet started it. Uh, well, I wouldn't go that route. What, what I would say is, um, you know, in my story, I was trying to find the reasons why I should be Muslim. And in order to be Muslim, I have to assert that Muhammad is a prophet. When I study his life, I cannot do that. I cannot conclude that this was a man sent by God to be the greatest exemplar for all mankind. Um, and so uh, this, isn't, <clears throat> this isn't a matter of coming against Islam with a smear campaign. This is a matter of saying, what's your positive case? What, what do you have to say in order for Islam to be true? Oh, you have to say that Muhammad is a prophet. Well, here's the problem with that. Uh, so it's it's not saying, hey, I'm just hatefully coming after you. It's, you know, if you honestly believe Islam is true, how do you handle all these things? Because I couldn't handle it when I was a Muslim. I, I could not see the way to explain it. And even today, I don't think there is a way to explain it. Um, Muhammad is not a man that I would want to follow. Um, no hatred towards Muslims here. No hatred towards, you know, a different ideology. I was Muslim when I came up to that conclusion. Um, but when I studied, I'm not, I'm not talking about accepting blindly what my parents taught me, what the mosque, you know, teaches. I, not that. When I use my God-given brain and the historically given sources to see what Muhammad's life was like, I, I can't follow this man. And therefore, I can't be Muslim. So that's, that's the reasoning behind um, kind of my conclusion on Muhammad. A lot more of that is found here, No God But One, Part 9. Is, is on Muhammad. So take a look at that if you want to learn more. Um, to be quite honest, I go extremely gentle um, on Muhammad. Um, I understand what he means to most Muslims. Again, I'm thinking through the lens of my family uh, when, when I'm criticizing, um, and I mean that, well, let me use the word critiquing um, Islamic theology. I don't want to offend people unnecessarily. So I, I go very gentle. There's so much more that can be said. I go less gently. <laughs> so you can find a lot of, a lot of stuff on David's website, uh, Act 17 Apologetics, uh, AnsweringMuslims.com. Um, both of them, you'll find a lot more on Muhammad if you're interested. So thanks so much for watching this video. Uh, we're just going to do a quick, short uh, wrap-up on this unofficial series on Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Love you guys. Thanks.